Right, we are covering a ton of room today. Is anybody enjoying this series? Anybody feeling like you're learning anything? All right. So we are in session eight of the Our Story series, and we're going to be talking about the United Kingdom uh, of Israel. And uh, the, the title of this message is called Leaning Toward Destruction, which will make no sense if you just think about, we're talking about the United Kingdom, it's, it's before the division, but I think it'll be clear where we're going as we go, okay? So right now, though, I, I want to just briefly recap where we've been um, over the last week or so. We talked about um, the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, and how that... Through that, God lined out what was right and what was wrong. It, it codified sin for the first time in history. And in creating a code of what sin was, then God could pay for that sin through sacrifice more effectively. There was sacrifice since Adam, and it did pay for sin. The first thing God did was sacrifice after the fall of Adam and Eve, but it is only... After the codifying of sin, that the breadth of sin could be paid for and, and moved off of people so that God could dwell with them. And that's why the tabernacle was instituted. And we talked about the tabernacle last week, the way it was designed. Anyone, did it, was anyone surprised that there was a cross in the tabernacle? Was that kind of cool? That God, in the Old Testament even was saving through the cross. And uh, the, the furniture, and literally it's the furniture of the tabernacle made a cross. And um, starts off with the brazen altar where the sacrifices were made. That's death. And that's where the sins were paid for. And then that blood was carried uh, back into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the, the altar of the, uh, of the ark, on the mercy seat of the ark, and paid for our sins there. And uh, we see the New Testament tabernacle experience in Acts 2.38 where it says that we're to repent of our sins, we're to be baptized, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the New Testament tabernacle, and we all get to experience it. So, that's the three-second review. And now we're going to go into the 23-hour lecture. No, I'm just kidding. Um, today we are going to talk about, though, the, the conquest of Canaan and the United Kingdom of Israel established in Canaan there. And along with that, the weakness of humanity. So, so Israel is, is after the, the coming of the covenant, after the making of the Ten Commandments, and God's people saying, yes, we want to live in that covenant with you. God makes for the first time in history, a people that are his. This is important because before that, it was just a family. It was, it was Abraham and his children. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And then out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes. And, and God is, is more the, the God of, of a family. But after that point, he becomes the God of a nation. He becomes the God of a people. And so for the first time since Adam and Eve, God had a people who were his. Everybody following me? 
He, in the midst of all the pagans, and in the midst of all of the people worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, idols, and everything else that they could worship, there was one people who worshiped the God who made the sun, the moon, the stars. The God who created all things and breathed life into humanity. There was one people that worshiped him. And those people now were going to go and take possession of a land that was theirs. Now I want you to understand this very, very um, important point. There are people who criticize God because of the nature of the conquest of Canaan. Um, People will say that God is in favor of genocide. And I want you to understand that he is not. Scripture says very clearly that God said this. God said this to Moses as they're getting ready to go and take Canaan land. Because there's people that live there, right? And, And God does say, you know, basically that you've got to push them out. You've got to get them out. And if they won't go, then you're going to have to war with them. And you're going to have to destroy that people. And and the reason is this, and I want you to understand this, this point here. God was not about genocide. God was not about just killing people. He said, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send hornets ahead of you and drive the Hittites, Canaanites, Canaanites, and Hivites out of your way. Literally, God, before he ever sent the people of Israel to go fight, He was trying to push the people out through fear, fear of the people coming, and and the real problems of hornets and and other animal portions of creation pushing them out. And if they refused to go, then they would have to fight. But the reason, and I want you to understand this, a lot of people will ask why. Why did God do this? The reason that God had to clear the way and, and push those, those people out of the land is because God needed to be able to maintain something. He needed to be able to maintain pure worship. Because the reality is this. The Lord is continually warning the nation of Israel, don't get hooked up with all of the pagan nations around you because they will lead you into sin. You start marrying the pretty little Canaanite girl that lives next door. She is going to lead you into idolatry. And that is going to cause you to walk away from me. And that is going to produce all kinds of problems in your life. The reason that preserving proper worship is so essential is because God is trying to do more. Hear me. God is trying to do more than just simply have a people in the earth, just simply a nation to call his own. He is trying to redeem humanity. The whole purpose of the nation of Israel was to create a nation of worshipers so that God himself could come and put on flesh as a member of that worshiping nation and take the sins of the world upon him on a cross and die for us. So that you could be Jew, you could be Jewish, you could be African American, you could be Latin American, you could be Polish, you could be Norwegian, you could be German, you could be Colombian, you could be anything. And you could be saved. Because it wasn't about being a Jew or being a Gentile. It was about being human. That's where God really wanted to go. But in order for God to be able to reach into the world, 
and save us, he needed to have a people, the Jewish people, who would first be his to be able to create that environment where he could come and save us. And because of that, God does choose this nation. And God appoints Moses to first lead them. And then as Moses passes, Joshua, Moses' young mentee, his, his partner, his, his uh, protege, shall we say, he is then entrusted in, in with the leadership of Israel. And Joshua leads Israel across Jordan into Canaan and begins to quickly have victories. How many of you all know the, the story of Jericho? Even those of us who were not raised in church have heard at least of Jericho. Jericho was a huge city right across from the Jordan. And, and God literally brought Israel into conflict right away with the largest city along the Jordan River, to right away establish that he was going to be the one that would fight for Israel. He does this by a great victory that's not won by, by just swords and shields. He's, he tells the people of Israel to march around the walls seven times. Jer- Jericho had huge walls. They say the excavation of them today, I've heard that you have walls that are 30 feet thick that they say went up as high as about 50 feet. Those huge walls were impregnable. They were impossible to get past for just some average army. So they marched around the walls, like God said, for for six days. And on the seventh day, God said, blow the trumpets and shout, and I will bring the victory. And when the the people of Israel marched around that, that wall seven times that day, And blew the trumpets and shouted, God brought the walls down. And there was a great victory in Jericho. The people's faith was high. We're going to see God's promises come to pass. We're going to, all these things, all the things we've gone through these 40 years in the desert, all the problems that we've had, all of these things are now behind us. Now we're going to go on and have great victory. We're going to see God's promises come to pass. And then they came up against Ai. Ai is this little town, probably a few hundred people. And, and they go and they only send a couple thousand men to go fight against Ai. We don't actually know how large Ai is but, or was, but we know it was significantly smaller than, than Jericho, the major city. And yet, the thousands that we sent in to fight against this little town of Ai get whooped. And the people are like, what is going on? And, and, and so, so the people are, are obviously upset. And, and Joshua's upset. He goes to the Lord. He's like, what is going on? And he says this. The Lord says to him, someone has taken the devoted things. You see, God had said that with Jericho, that the people of Israel were to take nothing from there. They weren't supposed to spoil the city, all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the clothes and all of the riches of Jericho were to be left there as an offering to the Lord. And yet, somebody had taken them. And that, that single act of disobedience caused the defeat 
of their, of their army against this little town. It'd be like, it'd be like, you know, some army coming up against um, a place like New York City. And New York gets leveled and everything's, you know, total conquest. Then they come to Canton and get their tails whooped. Of course, though, with you guys, that might be a good fight. Um, that's beside the point. I won't go off there. But the reality is this. It was because of, of, of transgression. It was because of not doing what God had said. It was about being selfish and holding on to things that were devoted to God that caused the defeat of Israel. And Achan is the man who did it. And he hid underneath his tent some gold and some clothes from Jericho. And it cost him, cost him his life. Because the reality is this. There are times that, that, that the entire body is dependent on all of us being faithful and doing our part. It's important that we understand that. It's, it's, it's important that we all gather in one mind, in one heart, to go forward to bring God's victory to an area. God's kingdom, and we need to remember this, God's kingdom is always, folks, always in warfare with Satan. Always. That never ends. I have a question just real quick. Did anyone have a bad day yesterday? I'm like a really bad day. A few bad days? I only see a few hands. Okay. Um, yesterday, yesterday morning, the Lord woke me up early. I was up from 1.30 on Saturday morning until about 6. And I spent almost all of that time in prayer. And at 10 to 5 Saturday morning, I had a massive breakthrough Massive breakthrough in the spirit. And God said that we are breaking through. But I want you to understand that I had one of the worst days I have had in longer than I can remember. It was bad. I don't, there might have been five minutes that were okay. And it was just as I was getting up. <laughs> um, it was a bad day. See, but you need to understand this. When you're in a fight, when you're in a fight with the enemy, he is going to wreck parts of your day. But this is the thing. We are in a fight. That never ends, folks. We are in a fight. We are part of the, ch of, of the children of God. We are each members of God's family. And, and the things that we do matter. They have effect. If I hadn't got up at 1.30, because I, how many of y'all know I did not want to get up at 1.30? How many of you know I didn't want to stay up till 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday? No. That's my one day I get to sleep in. But the thing is this. If I hadn't gotten up, I wouldn't have been able to gain, engage in the fight. If I hadn't been obedient, to follow the Lord into prayer, I would have never seen the victory that he wanted to see and give us as a body that morning. The things that we do, do matter. And, and too many times, more times than we ever even think about, the things that we do have spiritual repercussions. You might not think that it's important. 
But the things that we do will affect the war that's going on. There are strongholds in people's lives around this room. Addictions and sins and problems that are in your life because there was a day that you gave up a certain level of of the war. You gave in to temptation. You gave in to the adversary's invitation. But those things have effect. And we need to understand that those effects sometimes affect more than just your house. Sometimes it affects the whole body. Sometimes it affects the whole country. There are people, there are men and women today in the church that are not living for God anymore because of decisions made by just normal church folks just like us. I can't even tell you how many times I've met somebody that said that they were, that they, oh yeah, I used to go to that church. But then this, the next sentence, thank you, Brad, it was like, you're thinking my thoughts. But sadly, the next sentence usually is, yeah, I used to go there, but this person X, Y, Z. What we do has massive impact. We are always, folks, in a war. And the enemy is always trying to use you to get on somebody else. He's always trying to use us against each other. He's always trying to pit the husband against the wife and the children against the parents and and friends against each other because if he can create division, then we can't stand together. We have got to understand that what we do matters. We are in a spiritual battle. We have got to begin to understand that every moment of our lives is engaged in that battle. And if we are not aware of it, we will make stupid decisions. That's why we watch some of the things we watch. That's why we do some of the things we do. Because we've diminished in our own mind that we're not really in a battle. Oh, this doesn't matter. My brothers and sisters, everything you do affects the battle one way or the other. You are either building the kingdom of God or you are building, hear me now, I'm about to tell you why you go through some of the trials you go through, some of the problems that happen. We're either building the kingdom of God or we're building things that God's going to have to destroy in our own lives. We are in a battle. And I want to say this. This might hurt a little bit. This is what pastors do. We're kind of like doctors. Give you a little shot. It hurts. I hate shots. When I was a senior in high school, I was captain of the football team. Literally, the doctor, I needed an immunization to play football. The doctor chased me around his, his table for like three minutes. Until my mother came in. And mom's only that tall, but she's like, you're taking this shot. I'm like, mama? She's like, you're taking it. I'm like, all right, mama. Sometimes I'm like a doctor, I'm going to give you a shot, it's going to hurt a little bit. But I want you to hear me, if you're not in a fight, if you are not in a fight, you are probably not a threat. And if you're not a threat, that means that Satan's got you exactly where he wants you. Neutralized. Off to the side. Ineffective. 
We've got to be fighting. We've got to be fighting. God moves and he moves through the nation. After they get that rebellion, that selfishness taken care of, the war just continues. But the thing is that the results were that God's people were consistently victorious. God gives them the promised land. And Joshua in his farewell farewell address says some of the most famous words in Scripture. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The kingdom of Israel is established and God's people in earth have a place to dwell. And they are to reflect God in culture, in a culture of justice and blessing. And for the first time, like I said, since Adam and Eve, God had a place, a, a location that was his in the earth. First time since the garden. It's incredible to me. This is all a new thing. But one thing didn't change, and that is the human propensity towards self-destruction. The kingdom of Israel is established, but humans didn't change. God had a place in the world, but he didn't often have a place in our hearts. Israel is supposed to be God's missionary agency in the world Listen to this. This is crazy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. A lot of us think of the Jews as being totally isolated and undealing, untouched by the world around them. But I want you to listen to God's plan. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. So that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding, hear this, to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them in the way that the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am now setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children's children after them. He tells them not to forget And yet that's exactly what they did. They forgot. And from this point forward, I want you to understand this. I'm going to sum up the entire entire history of Israel right now. Are you ready? They go from being a people who's faithful to God and blessed. Goes faithful to blessed. And then their blessing makes them lazy. And then they forget. They forget God and his his provision, and they backslide. 
And they leave God. They leave his, his word. They leave their faithfulness to him. And then that removes the blessing. So then they become oppressed by other people. And then in the midst of their oppression, they realize that they've messed up. And they repent. And they go, God, we need you. And so God comes to their rescue. And then they get blessed. And then they're faithful. And then they get blessed. And then they backslide. And then they become oppressed. And then they repent. And it keeps on going, literally, through the entire history of the Old Testament. It starts here with the judges. It goes on with the kings. And I'm just going to sum all this up in the next few minutes. Band, I think I'm going to be about 10 more minutes, just so you know. The judges were a time, it says in Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. With no real leader, the people forgot about the Lord. And they, they just began to live their lives. You see, a real leader, guys, a real leader always brings you back to God, his word, and his worship. I want you to understand that that's why God created the office of pastor. I am here to be a real leader that points you to God and leads you to look at him and observe his word and worship and and make sure that your focus stays there, that you're not just living life, but that you continually are redirecting and focusing yourself on him. That's what a real leader does. That's why God gave you Pastor Glenn as your senior pastor here for 40 years, and Pastor Arlen as his assistant for 40 years, and their wives and and the elders of this church served you and point the way to God. That is the reason for the ministry of the church in the pastoral office. It's to keep you on track with God so that you're blessed. But when we walk away, this is why it's also important to, to stay connected to the body of Christ because when you walk away and you have no real leader... Too often we're walking away from God, his principles, his purposes for our lives, and we begin to slide away from the things that once saved us. And after a time, hopefully that person cries out. Because that's what would happen with Israel. They would, they would go and they would be left on their own with no real leader and they'd backslide. And then they'd come under oppression and they'd, they'd have the Hittites or, the, or later on, It'd be the Hivites or, or any number of nations around them who would be oppressing them in the moment. And then they'd realize that they've walked away from God and they'd cry out to him. And he would send a judge. And, and this little book of Judges has some of the most famous people in all of the Bible in it. In this little book of Judges, there are prophets and warriors. Is really the two extremes of what they are. But you have people like Deborah, who's the first prophetess who's measured, mentioned outside of Miriam, Moses' sister. We have Samson, the mighty warrior, and we have Samuel, the prophet. Now, Samuel is the bridge, and follow me, guys, because I'm, I'm finishing up. Try to put this all together for you really quick. Don't, don't fall asleep on me yet. Samuel is the bridge between the judges and the kings. The people of Israel wanted to be like every other nation with a king. They didn't want to just simply have 
have God be their leader. They wanted to have a person to go out and fight their battles and all those things, just like all the other nations. And so God finally relents and says, okay, go and get Saul and anoint him to be king over Israel. And Saul, guys, for all the stories that you may have heard about Saul, Saul is amazing. Saul is physically incredible. He has an amazing physical presence. He's handsome. He's tall, something I know nothing about. Literally, the Bible says that he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He becomes an incredible warrior, and he reigns over Israel for 40 years. But I want you to hear me. Saul had character issues. It seems that he was very insecure, as he's always trying to look to the approval of others and not the approval of God. There was a, 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 a battle where God said, kill everything. Kill, kill all of you know, the livestock. Offer it all to me. And uh, they go into battle and they're fighting and they have a mighty conquest over the people. And then the men say, hey, there's a lot of good looking sheep here. And so I was like, oh, you like those sheep? Well, I'm sure God won't mind. And he becomes, hear me, he becomes like Achan. He becomes like Achan. He, he doesn't just leave what God wants left to him. He's always stealing God's part to try to appease either himself or those around him. And Saul's selfishness, Saul's desire to please someone else other than God leads to his self-destruction. His final sin is that he sacrifices in place of the priest, prophet Samuel. And this is important. It reveals his lack of faith in God. Literally, Samuel says, wait for me, I'll come and sacrifice, and then you go to battle. That's the order that it was supposed to go. Wait for me, I will come and sacrifice, then you go to battle. And after, I think it's seven days, Saul is impatient. And he says, I'm done waiting for the prophet to show up. I am going to sacrifice for myself. And don't you know, this is how it works, guys. When God says, wait for you, wait for me, the moment that you put down your instruments that you made sacrifice with, guess who shows up? Samuel. He's like, dude. I'm sure he didn't say dude, but I, I would. Dude. You didn't wait for me. And you, you presumed to take my, my ministry that God has given to me and an offer for yourself for this battle. See, I want you to understand something. Saul thought that that was just a formality, that the real battle was really with the nation of Israel. He lost his focus that is always God he started to believe his own press clippings, that he could bring his own victories. I want you to hear this warning. You can be God's anointed and fall. Tell you what, give me another, give me a few minutes. Sorry. You guys were quicker than 10 minutes. So now you're going to have to stand here and smile. I'll give you the nod. After Saul comes David. 
David is, of course, famous for Goliath. He too reigns over Israel for 40 years. And David has a covenant given. We're going to talk about David a lot next week, so I'm not going to spend much time with him here. But David is a man after God's own heart. This is important because he is somebody who's supposed to be the antithesis or the opposite of Saul. Saul was self-motivated and and self-driven and believed in his own press clippings. And David, instead of being tall and handsome, he's probably a little bit more like me. He's a little shorter and he was, he was handsome. And, um, and, uh, and all of that stuff. And, And he goes out and he wins victories trusting God, not himself. And even though that's the case, I want you to hear me very, very closely here. David still fell. For those of you who don't know the story well, David falls with a woman named Bathsheba. She's a beautiful woman, and she's bathing on top of her her housetop, which was customary. All the people who preach stupid stuff from this text don't have a clue. It was normal. Because she was from one of, the, the, one of David's mighty men was her husband. She had a nice house. The only place in the entire city where you could actually see Bathsheba bathing was from the palace. And David violated her privacy and then calls her up and has sex with her. And she ends up conceiving and... And it ends up becoming a mess. Uriah, her husband, is killed by David's orders. David fell because he lost his focus, thinking that the king's place was somehow at the palace instead of leading his people. Folks, stay on the front front end of the fight. Stay on the front end of the fight. Stay on the front end of the fight. If you're catching problems, that just means you're where you're supposed to be. Keep fighting. Lead your families into the fight. David lost his focus, and it cost him everything. This is the warning associated with David. You can be a man after God's own heart and still fall. So you can be God's anointed, Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, and still fall. Or you could be after God's own heart, worshiping, playing your little harp, singing your little heart out, and and you can still fall when you get distracted from what you're supposed to be doing. And then there's Solomon, and I really am getting to a close, just so you all know. Solomon is David's son. Ironically, the son that he had with Bathsheba later in life. David's two oldest sons, the most elder son who was the natural one who would sit on the throne of Israel and his most talented son were both killed through the conflicts that came out of his sin with Bathsheba. It opens the doors for all the sins, sons of, of David to come to the throne and Solomon is David's choice. Now hear this. David has this son and, and Solomon becomes the wisest man who ever lived. The famous story of there's two women who have this baby, and, and they're debating on whose it is. And, and Solomon's like, I'll solve this. Cut that baby in half. Give both parents, both women, half their baby. And, of course, the one who's real, the real mama, she's like, no, just give the baby to her. Let it live. And Solomon, of course, says, that's the real mother. Give that baby to her. The wisdom of Solomon 
was amazing, but his leadership was equally prolific. Scripture says that the silver was as pebbles in the streets. Can you imagine? Silver was as pebbles in the streets. Israel had no enemies at that time. It's a time of great peace. They build the temple where God is worshipped, and, and the queen of Sheba comes up because she heard of the amazing place that he was creating in Israel. And he, she comes, and she sees it, and she says, quoting Scripture, the half had not been told of the wonders of this great nation. But see, Solomon had two major issues. First of all, folks, and you need to hear this, and I'm wrapping up for real. The first is that he tried to secure his own kingdom politically. He forgot that his kingdom was really God's kingdom. And that forgetting that, he starts marrying foreign women to try to create treaty marriages so that it, all of his borders are kept safe. And in moving in the flesh, folks, Solomon fell into sin. You see, he starts marrying Egyptians and, and he starts marrying, you know, people from Tyre and Sidon. He starts marrying Midians and all these different nationalities. He's marrying all these foreign women. And God in the scriptures had declared that no Israelite should ever marry outside of Israel, ever. Because he said this, when you start marrying outside of those who know me as Lord and God, they will lead you away into sin. And folks, I want you to hear me. That's what happened with Solomon. Solomon ends up in a place where he marries all these women. 1 Kings 11 says this, starting in verse 1, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because you will surely turn, they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had, get this, 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. Solomon self-destructed. And it resulted in a divided kingdom. I'm not going to read any more scripture about it, but we'll pick it up next time. The kingdom is literally divided. It's literally separated to where there's two nations of Israel now. There's the nation of Israel made up of ten tribes, and then the nation of Judah made up of Judah and Benjamin. That's it. The kingdom is taken and divided because, because, because he did not follow the Lord. He lost his focus. He believed, he believed, check this, guys. He believed that he, through his wisdom, could make and secure Israel and their blessing. And yet, he caused their ultimate demise. Because from this point forward, Israel is never the same. And I want you to hear me very carefully today. 
Too many of us Christians are trying to labor for ourselves, by ourselves, by our own wisdom. And we're leaving God out of it. And if we are not careful, the same fate of us relying on our own wisdom and not on God and his provision and his protection and his blessing and his, his care, if we don't rest in him, we will never rest at all. Because we, my brothers and sisters, are all, we are all bent toward self-destruction. We are always leaning toward destruction. All of us. You can be the wisest man who's ever lived. And when you start believing that you can do it yourself, you are on your way to destroying yourself and your family and all that's important to you. You are not that good. When you lose the focus on what really is the source of your blessing, when we start becoming like Achan and stealing our part of the blessing so that we can have it because we believe that that God won't notice. Folks, that's why I want you to hear me really carefully. I didn't expect to talk about this, but just really close, really carefully, listen to me just for a second. This is why we tithe. This is why I will not pay other bills. I'm telling you right now, they can turn off my lights before I don't tithe. It's happened. I've had it happen. Oh, you're going to shut off my power? Or are I going to tithe? I'll tithe, thank you. Because the reality is this, I will not be aching. I will not steal God's part hoping that he'll still bless me. Because in the end, it will kill you. And if you're not tithing, all that that means is you have a misunderstanding of your source. You think it's you. It ain't. I say all that to say, I don't care if you tithe to this church or not. If you're not a member of this church, you can tithe anywhere. But you better tithe. Because it, it, it shows God. It's worship. It gives him what is his. The warning with Solomon is you can be the wisest man in the world and fall. I have mentioned some of the heroes of our faith. <laughs> I mentioned Samson in passing. Yeah, he fell too. The heroes of our faith fell when they stopped obeying God and started obeying what felt good for the moment. You can start to play now, Cheryl. (laughs) Folks, the history of the nation of Israel illustrates our natural leaning toward destruction. When I mention all these names that you know from Scripture, every one of them ends 
with the same story because of the sin of this person there's repercussions what caused them to fall the answers vary for Saul it was pride and insecurity for David it was women for Solomon it was lots of women but in the end really really all it was they stopped being faithful to God hear me they stopped being faithful to God they stopped obeying his word they started doing what felt good now rather than what would please God later my advice to you today the advice from your pastor fight against the wrong that you want to do in the moment to remain faithful to God and his work in your life because folks listen to me that choice to stay faithful and walk the line with him according to his word according to his purposes according to the truth that you know that is the place of blessing and of peace Deuteronomy 30 the very end of the book and I'm closing verse 19 this is really what I feel like you need to hear today Moses said this day I call the heavens and the earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and curses now choose life so that you and your children may live folks today is your pastor someone who loves you and prays for you someone who dreams about the things that God wants to do through us as someone who who wars for you on my knees and beats beats up enemy spirits that are trying to invade your life and trying to cut things out of you that God's trying to burden you. This pastor who loves you says right now, I give you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Choose life. Choose life choose to obey him. Let's pray. Father, I uh, I thank you that you give us choice. I thank you that that I thank you for the fight. I thank you that it's not always easy to live for you. It's not always easy to choose to do right. But I thank you that you give us the opportunity to choose because you want us to choose life. The way to death is easy. The way to destruction is wide. And many there are that will follow it, Scripture says. But few there be that would choose the narrow way. Lord, let us be those who choose life.
blessing. By the power of the name of Jesus right now, I declare your blessing, Lord, over your people. And I loose them right now from the things that would constrain their thinking and, and the problems that, Lord God, would cause them to choose things other than you and, and the, 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 the temptations that would draw them out of purity and into darkness. I, I break those things, Lord God. And I just say, I just pray this, Lord, in the moment that they're tempted, because temptation's going to come, I pray that they remember that they choose life that they stay tight with you that they choose not to walk away and satisfy their, their itch for the moment and open the disaster that lays behind that door I ask this in Jesus name for this people that you've given me to oversee and to care for Lord bless them in Jesus name Amen if anybody needs to come and pray, come. Band's going to sing and stuff. Folks, choose life. Choose life. If you need prayer, come on.
from the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. our bodies but Lord more than anything let us become the people that you've made us to be let the end of our story not be a warning to others but let it be Lord a light that shines for what a life that's lived for you looks like and let our our children and our children's children be evidence of the faithfulness that's seen in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to go, you're dismissed. Go right to the fellowship hall. If you want to come up and pray, come. God bless you. We'll see you in a few minutes.